You're listening to the Sketchnote Army Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rohde, the author of the Sketchnote Handbook and the Sketchnote Workbook. And this is the podcast where I chat with sketchnoters and visual thinkers and try to understand what makes them tick. Hey, are you looking for the ideal sketchbook for your sketchnoting practice? The Sketchnote Idea Book is the sketchbook designed for sketchnoters. Equipped with no bleed, no show-through paper, you can take almost any marker or pen you can throw at it. Get 10% off with code ARMY at airship.store. Hey everyone, it's Mike here, and I'm here with my friend, Dr. Brian Vardabedian. Dr. Vardabedian, it's so good to have you on the show. It's great to be here. I think uh, we've been planning this for a number of years, and it never yes. really happened, right? Yeah, well, we're both pretty busy people. Right. Uh, you being you, you being a physician and leadership uh, certainly you know demands your time for very important things. Um, probably more important than sketchnote podcasts many times, but you know sooner or later we figured we'd catch you, and it's worked out. So I'm really happy to have you here. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, what you do. Well, I am a, uh, by training, I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist, spent most of my career as a full-time clinician. Uh, over the past couple of years, I've gotten into medical leadership and hmm. um, I helped Texas Children's here in Houston build a couple of their community hospitals and they recruited me to open our new uh, Austin flagship hospital in Northwest Austin. So I'm hmm. merging into medical leadership and uh, it's been uh, kind of fun, a little different. Cool. And I know that Austin is growing leaps and bounds. So I imagine the demand in Austin for those services has got to be pretty significant. Yeah. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Big, big uh, tech explosion going on there. And so a lot of demand for pediatric uh, services. And so mm -hmm. uh, we're also offering women's services there too. So high risk uh, kinds of uh, women's services. So wow. it's be a beautiful hospital up in Cedar Park in Northwest Austin. If anyone listening wants ah. to see it. I think, uh, I don't know that I've been in that region, but I've been uh, to some other regions around Austin. So I'll have to look on a map when I'm, when we're all done. So, um, so you've been doing that. I'm really curious now, like, so we talked a little bit, I warned you that we're going to do a, uh, like a, I they call it the superhero origin story. Like, how did you get to the place where you are? We know where you are now, but how did you get here? And more importantly for this audience, how did visual thinking using your whiteboard to explain very complex topics to patients is what I remember we talked about in my book 10 years yeah. ago. How did you end up integrating that into your practice? Because it doesn't seem like that's something, I mean, you know, the the big joke is doctors' handwriting are impossible to read. And it sounds like your handwriting is quite legible. So how did you end up in that place? I'd love to hear that story. It's a good question because I think uh, I have been using large whiteboards in my exam rooms, I guess now for over 20 years. Hmm. Um, and it started with, uh, these little whiteboards, these little tiny whiteboards that they used to have in exam rooms that would sort of tell the nurses you've seen these in like hospital rooms, Yeah, yeah. the nurse's name, like who the assistant is and, mm -hmm. um, whatever, what time the lunch trays are coming in or whatever. And so I used to try to, uh, I found myself sort of sketching pictures on these little tiny boards <laughs> and it, it, it was sort of unsatisfying because I was so constrained. And and mm -hmm. I think, um, and maybe it was around uh, Y2K, I started, uh, I had the manager invest in some larger boards and uh, larger dry erase boards, which 
really expanded my ability to kind of develop a kind of an intentional use of graphics in the exam room mm. with families. And I just sort of fell into it. And the, the, the real tipping point you know, around the time smartphones were kind of new. And I noticed mamas would hold their, their phones up and take pictures of mm. what I had drawn. Mm. And uh, it was kind of at that moment and, and, and the remarks that I got from families about how images and even just bullet lists and arrows and, and things were so instrumental in helping them understand what was going on with their child. Um, as you can understand, you know, physiology, you know, anatomy is, uh, is, is, can be tricky to describe a gallstone in a, in a, in a gallbladder yeah. or a, a, a poop back up in the colon. When you make a picture of that, it really, really is a lot easier for someone to understand. Even beyond pictures, you know, even just bullet lists, a bullet list with arrows or two bullet lists with an arrow going between the two, something as simple as that for a young mother with an eight-week-old child who's exhausted. If you try to explain some of this stuff without any supporting media to help them understand, even remember what the five things in the list are, it's impossible. So I don't even know how people practice medicine hmm. without visual, this kind of visual aid. Hmm. I, I think back to like uh, when I've had x-rays done, like you could show me the x-ray and you could explain to me how it works, but it still doesn't make sense to me because I'm not practiced in understanding how to interpret that. So you almost really need like what you're talking about. And you know, I'm looking at the sketch note workbook sample that we have here. You're talking about a uh, Castro uh, Paresis, uh, yeah. likely, yeah. right? You were sort of drawing this symbol, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. You almost need, so there's like the situation, and then there's a conceptual component to it where you're explaining the concept of what's happening, why it's happening, and how we're going to address it in this simple way. Because even showing like pictures like x rays are not going to be helpful right. to, again, a mother who's tired and has this eight week old who's crying because yeah. they hurt, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's so interesting is that we are you you're, are you Wisconsin? Yes. Yeah, you remembered. Yeah. Yeah. So we use uh we use the the biggest EHR program in, in I think in the world called Epic. Epic. We're out of Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big Wisconsin uh, company. And you know I think our hospital paid fifty million to implement it, and it, it has some amazing uh, abilities. But I, something very very interesting and it's funny has happened. I'll go through a 30-minute consult with a child who's not growing or whatever, and I'll make a note, make my impression. Docs have a thing called the impression, which is what we mm -hmm. think is going mm -hmm. on. And that's often we refer to when we go back in the notes. What was I thinking back then? Mm -hmm. But I've had parents. I've gone through the chart. You know, a patient comes back two months later. I look at my note. My note maybe isn't that great. Then the mom pulls out her phone and shows me the, the sketch note that I did on the board and within seven seconds, I can see like everything that we discussed without even, mm -hmm. without even, you know, more than seven seconds. I can just tell. So it's so interesting that a visual can be a better way to document kind of what I was thinking and what I was doing, hmm. even more than a, you know, a hundred million dollar software package. Yeah. I think there's, I've had this theory that it's something to do with the, um, so the mapping or the, the, the space, the use of space and the mapping ability of a visual, 
So you're not only working with words, but you're always put, putting them in context to each other. So there's like more like implied and even explicit uh, relationships that you can draw by because it's using the space where typing in text sort of gets crunched into this text, even a list, right? Like it's got its limitations. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if, you know, does Epic allow you to upload your pictures? That might be an interesting way to solve that problem, right? While, yeah. while the mother is taking a picture, you are too, right? <laughs> so it, 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 it does. It absolutely does. And I've yet to sort of pull the trigger on that. Hmm. Um, there is a very interesting thing that's kind of come up, which is what about liability hmm. when I write on a whiteboard? Does that become part of like uh, subject to what's called legal discovery? Let's say mm -hmm. I made a mistake mm -hmm. with a diagnosis. Could a mama pull out my whiteboard picture and use that in a court of law? And probably, mm -hmm. honestly, so it's probably the good, if our uh, hospital trainees are listening, they're like, you need to get those in the chart immediately. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I think it's, it's it's always bothered me a little bit that I, that I do these images and they're honestly very powerful, but I think they do probably carry... Uh, I haven't gotten in trouble yet, but um, <laughs> I, I do think they 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 can and should be part of the medical record. Yeah. Um, you know, we you're talking about I don't know giving giving context maybe to, to what we're discussing. The one of the the things that happens when I have these whiteboards, and once I launch into a discussion with a family, the, the white these visuals become sort of the center of the discussion, and it becomes really powerful with a family that doesn't speak English. Mm. Um, if I have a migrant family that speaks Spanish, maybe not super educated, and you know, I draw a simple picture of a stomach or a colon or a liver with you know with with red hash marks to mean inflammation. It's almost universal, and we gather around the board. Um, I've even had um, patients participate in the sketch noting. I wonder so about that. add things that are missing mm -hmm. and. Um, Especially, it's it's really powerful with kids who are probably preteen and older who can really kind of add to it or correct what I've put up in terms of mm. symptoms and that sort of thing. The point being that it kind of becomes this this center. And even when I have a translator, the translators know me and they go to the board and they're pointing, and mm -hmm. so it it just all kind of works, you know. There's some collaborative nature to that. I know I, in the work yes. that I do. When we collaborate on boards together, it's yep, yep. much richer than if it's just me preaching to the other people. I invite people to come up to the board and it becomes much more valuable because then everybody's really adding to it and adding dimension because you can't know or see every thing, right? You can't feel what the patient's feeling. So you have to rely exactly. on their ability to describe to you. And if they, maybe, maybe they don't even think about it until they start writing and that might reveal something they couldn't verbalize, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a, there's, there's, you know, the past 10, 15 years, we've been seeing this rise of participatory medicine where patients are more empowered with what, mm. you know, you know, start with the web and all that. And there's, they're, they're, it used to be the doctor was a priest and the priesthood and all that sort of thing. Now people are more, there's more participatory. Um, and there's also, is a, there's a, a movement called shared decision-making in medicine where mm. patients participate in sort of deciding on the plan in a collaborative way. And when we put four or five options, list one through five on the right side of the board, which is where I always put them, mm -hmm. we, we can sort of negotiate that a little bit. And it just lends to weighing things when you can see them written down. I would imagine too that the idea of a collaborative 
to whatever degree with the patient would also mean their buy-in to actually. So if there's there's a part that you do, and then there's a part that they have to do, medications, yep. physical therapy, I don't know, variety of things that they are responsible for, that if they feel like they've had a hand in making that choice, they're going to be more likely to actually fulfill their part of it, which means a better outcome, right? Yep. There's some evidence to support that, but I I can just tell you I see that firsthand. And um, yeah, for sure, once they they they're involved in it, they definitely are, are more invested for mm. sure. Yeah, I know I am. I I can only speak for me, I guess, but yeah, um, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, but it's been very fun. It's been a fun journey, and mm. uh, it's 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 kind of um, we've we've had interest from the you know, docs at the Mayo Clinic have have called me, and it's like, how do you do this? Mm. And uh, I I think we even kicked around maybe a decade ago. Um, I I thought I should make like a white paper to teach doctors how to do this, and I never mm. did it. But mm-hmm. something that's sort of akin to sketch notes for for mm-hmm. clinicians, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I think I do have a sort of a methodical way that I do it, a way that I use the geography of the mm-hmm. board to optimize the space, and you know, what do I use bullets for? What do I where do I put the plan, and so on and so forth. Almost like a language, um, but mm-hmm. but yeah, but I thought of, of 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 formalizing it, which I I haven't yet, but I probably should. Mm. I have some potential inspiration, my uh, my friend and colleague. Rob DeMio is a physicist. He started using it in his uh, practice as a physicist and found it really valuable, even though he had to modify the way he did it. He wrote a uh, paper that basically explains how he uses sketch notes in a scientific setting. It might be a really interesting reference to start from and see how he structured it and then maybe produce something along the same lines could be interesting. So we'll put that in the show notes too, and I'll make sure you get that. I don't just use visual thinking in the exam room. I, uh, I, you know, in the spirit of Austin Cleon, who's sort of a cartoonist mm. here in, mm-hmm. in, in, in Austin, Texas, I, I keep a journal and I do a lot of my thinking and kind of visual thinking, not as beautiful as you do, but, um, when I'm sorting through ideas, I use a lot of the sketch notes elements to sort of mm. help me understand how I'm thinking about things from basic, you know, brainstorming to mind mapping to everything. Hmm. That's really great so, to hear. Uh, that's used privately as well in your, uh, so in it's your imp- thinking. Maybe that, and maybe that's how I started doing it in the exam room too, because this is kind of, I don't know. And you said this just a moment ago. I don't know what I think until I write it down sometimes. Mm. Like mm. I can't tell all of an idea, but it's like until I put it into some sort of construct. Um, there's also... You know, different media stimulate me to be creative in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I I do a lot of writing, and I type. Um, I use an app called Ulysses. It's kind of like a writing, yep. uh, writing use that too. Mm-hmm. app. And um, but there are times when I'm stuck, and if I take to a white sheet of paper with your sketch notes elements, um, or just, just let myself go free, things come out that would never come out on a keyboard. Yeah. I I have the same I use the same tool and I run into the same challenges when I do workshops. Sometimes I just need to take a notebook and go to the cafe and get a coffee and dump on the page and they're not beautiful. Yeah. Right. But I I get so much information. Then what I do is I'll take that more mapped visualization, then I'll come back and then I can write again. It sort of opens up the the detail that I that I got stuck on when I'm trying to type. Like my finger my typing fingers don't work as effectively as my 
my visualization fingers, I guess. If I that makes sense. Yeah. Um, how did you end up? Uh, so when I look at the work that you do, it seems like you got quite good um, handle on visualization. Were you trained in any way? Did you just naturally do this? Did you draw when you were a little kid? Like where did this, where did these basic skills come from? Yeah. Um, yeah. I probably, I did a lot of art when I was very young. Mm. So it's interesting. You should say that I never thought about it, but I did. Uh, um, and honestly, the, with, with what I do on the whiteboard and I have other images too, it's the, the elements of what I do are pretty simple. Yeah, almost like what you outlined. It's got you know, there isn't, mm-hmm. and this is the the reason why I think anyone can do this. Any doc can do this. And in a minute, I'll I'll get into what some docs do and what they do wrong when they try to do this. But mm. like writing, I think maybe in the book, there's a picture of an esophagus and a stomach, and the esophagus mm-hmm. is two lines going down. Mm-hmm. The greater curvature of the stomach is a big curve, and the lesser curvature is a little curve, and anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. And then red hash mark, we have red hash marks or, a, or inflammation, the universal sign, and a little round circle is an ulcer. And, you know, so, um, so I'm kind of a minimalist in terms of what I do on the whiteboard. I, I try to use mm-hmm. basic elements. I try not to overdo it. I try to write it with the understanding that the mama is going to take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be clean enough in, vi- in legible enough so that when she goes home to dad over dinner, they can, she can point and she can do the teaching. Mm. Yeah. I, I've, one of the mistakes I've, I've seen is some of my colleagues start getting very, uh, you know, hypergraphic and hyperkinetic and very, very busy, which can be kind of natural for some people, but the end result can kind of be hampered, I think on some level. So I mm. try to keep it intentionally on the clean, maybe in the in the way that you would do a sketch note at a yeah. at a at a meeting. Right? Yeah, and doing something clean and simple is actually harder than doing it messy, right? Because you don't have to yep. really think about do you know what when I say this thing, uh, what is it conveying? Is it necessary? Those kind of questions you have to ask, right? So, and then you know, I guess the other thing about leaving it open and clean is if you're doing this collaborative work. I'm looking at the sample here. You've got some stuff drawn in black, and then you've got a a movement shape in green. It looks like it's moving out of the stomach. And then you have prevacid as one of the choices uh, versus ben, ben, bentil. And oh, you yeah, yeah. indicate that prevacid in that context at 15 milligrams is better. And you use a red marker to sort of circle right. that. So you've got this language that you're, it's really simple, but you're using this language to kind of annotate. And if you, if you can, if you pack that full of stuff, not going to have any room to really do that annotation and still have it clean and understandable. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I try not to overdo the colors either. I, I tend to stick to two or three typically mm-hmm. um, because it's really, the colors aren't that important, uh, but it, it, it can add an element that, that that's helpful. It's funny, uh, Mike, I have, I sometimes tell my colleagues about this and, like, and they say, Oh, I do that. And I do it on the butcher paper on the exam room table. Hmm. You know, you've, you've seen the doc sketch yep. with the pen on the on the paper, mm-hmm. which is, it's kind of a primitive kind of sketch noting. But my problem with that is it's not intentional. It, it doesn't have, it's not intended to create a product at the end for the family. It's not, mm. it, it tends to be, you know, scratched and scribbly. It's very hard to read. And I, I just, I think it's better than nothing maybe. But again, I, I think of the whiteboard or even if you don't have a whiteboard, you can take a large oversized notebook and and do that 
uh, if you're a doc listening, you can do you, use a large oversized uh, notebook with a with a sharpie or a nice one millimeter uh, gel pen and and mm-hmm. get a good result. Mm-hmm. Something that could be photographed. I imagine I can imagine some physicians might like to carry that book around with them, right, from yep. room to room. Maybe they they don't want to be leaving it on a board or racing. That maybe carrying it's better for them. That could be. I carried a whiteboard around with me in the hospital for a while. Believe it or not, yeah, it was sort of a trademark, uh, but it, it became <laughs> difficult because it was you know you'd forget it half the time. So yeah, I know there's some startups uh, that have happened. I don't know where they're at now, but there were these books that were they were whiteboard inside, but you'd fold it up and had a strap like a moleskin notebook. And you could get them in different sizes, like quite big, so you could literally carry it around. Had a little clip for the marker, so you could pop it open and do like a whiteboard drawing on the spot. It was kind of a cool idea. You know, I've been tempted to you know, use procreate or something to sort of do mm-hmm. these visuals on a, on a, on a pad and then mm-hmm. share digitally with a family. I just never quite get into that because I like the size and the, the grandeur of a large five foot whiteboard and the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think probably there's something about the whiteboard and the simple tools that makes it more approachable. If you do want to have family involvement, like Drawing on your iPad or drawing on your notepad might feel yep. like they're invading, whereas a whiteboard feels more neutral or something. Yep. And they're, it's more common. Like one of the things I discovered when I started teaching sketchnoting is I got fancy notebooks and pens and all this stuff. And I found out that actually it was really um, intimidating for students to work with these really fancy tools. So now I just, when I do workshops, I just have them order a ream of paper and some flare pens and we're good, right? It's It sort of drops the level of the tool to the point that it almost is forgot, forgettable, right? You leave behind the paper or the pen and like, I'll just get another one, right? It's it's so simple. So I imagine that's Cleon jokes, the same thing. He used a cartoonist again, I'll bring him up, but he, he's always joking. People uh, email him and ask him what pen he uses, you know, as if, if they bought the same pen, they'd be just as talented, but it's, right. it's really, and he's always, it drives him crazy because that's not the point, you know, and yeah, everyone's got yeah. their own favorite gel pen or the whatever. So. You have to adapt it to your needs, right? That's, that's yeah. part of the game. That's really interesting. Um, So we sort of are stumbling into tools. So maybe we should just go there. But before we go to go there, I'd love to hear like, is there something current that you're doing? So obviously you're, you sound like you've moved to a new location. Are you thinking about how you might use, uh, visualization in this new position, or maybe start sharing these concepts with physicians. There's something new that you're doing that you might want to talk about. Well, the first, uh, of course, the first order of business is to get whiteboards in our new clinics in uh, Austin. Mm. So um, I've got that rolling. I have done workshops for my uh, for my uh, faculty locally here through the years, and mm-hmm. uh, they love that. And and as I suggested, people. They kind of do this on their own, but they've never done it with that intentionality of using it mm-hmm. to create a product. So uh, I do want to pull it to Austin with me. I would, I, again, I would love to, uh, I, I'd like, I need to create some collateral material that that, that, that teach people how to do this on the web, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like you've done with workshops. And so I would love mm-hmm. to do that, but uh, we're building this $700 million hospital and I got to hire 200 doctors and- A little time you know, constrained, Brian. Yeah, time constraint, time constraint. So, but I can, I, I still, I still, uh, my, my reputation precedes me because everyone else is like, you're going to have the, the whiteboards. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. 
maybe we should uh, cook up some kind of a weekend workshop where we'll record it with you and I'll be your I'll be oh, your be host fun. and you could just do the you could do get your whiteboard out and show us your practice and we'll record it and then you can share it with all your whoever wants to learn your techniques. That'd be fun. You know what's so interesting Mike, is that since you know one of the great things about the internet not like the internet's new or something but there emerged this population of physician artists and there are mm. I can you know point you to a bunch of uh, illustrators and cartoonists who are, I mean, real professional cartoonists who are physicians mm-hmm. who hmm. obviously with the emergence of the web, they became discoverable right before the web. No one, you know, how do you, how do you, how would you know? Yeah. You were, how would you know there's a <laughs> guide like sketching? And so um, there's some real talent out there and it's what's, what's amazing. We think of docs as sort of this, these narrow people, but there's a whole population of docs doing very interesting things with, uh, with illustration and with graphics and cartoons. Mm. And uh, so it's kind of cool to sort of follow these people and see what they do. Mm. And you're, you're part of that community, you know, in your own way doing it. It is. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's, 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 I'm, I'm, what I do is very uh, practical, you know, it's, I'm Mm. I'm doing it for a purpose and for an end point as a, I guess they are too, but it's very, you know, it's very different, you know, their purpose is different, right? It might be like more like medical illustration, which I'm right kind of aware of right we're explaining yep. through medical illustration which is a kind of a different you know practice but you do need that skill to understand like you know right. what something really is if you misrepresent that that could be pretty dangerous so yep. this episode of the sketchnote army podcast is brought to you by concepts a perfect tool for sketchnoting available on ios windows and android Concepts Infinite Canvas lets you sketch note in a defined area while still enjoying infinite space around it. To write a quick note, scribble an idea, or keep pre-drawn visual elements handy for when you need the most. The Infinite Canvas lets you stretch out and work without worrying if you'll run out of space. And when combined with powerful vector drawing that offers high resolution output and complete brush and stroke control, you have a tool that's perfect for sketch noting. Search Concepts in your favorite app store to give it a try. Well, you know, uh, it sounds like your tools are pretty simple. I'm guessing it's uh, whiteboards. And do you have specific markers that you prefer to use? Is there a certain color, certain brand, any of that kind of thing that you could share? We use uh, Expo Low Odor. Um, Okay. The odors of some of the whiteboards can be pretty strong. And for kids with reactive airway disease and other airway problems, it can be an issue. So we hmm. try to keep use the low odor. In my personal work, I have a thing for fountain pens. And so I use hmm. a nice heavy grade notebook with uh, wide nib uh, uh, pens. And so I, I enjoy doing that. They require a little maintenance. Hmm. Uh, beyond that, I, I do a one millimeter uh, Signio Uniball, which uh, this is my favorite gel. Nice, nice broad tip. I like the one yep. millimeters as well. Kind of yep. juicy. I say juicy. I like it juicy. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of slippery and all that sort of thing. So yeah, exactly. Um, and I'll even practice, I'll even practice on a notebook. Sometimes I'll, I'll be stuck in an exam room trying to figure out a con, like how do I express a concept of uh, gallbladder motility? Maybe, and I'll, I'll just take out a sheet in my notebook and just start scribbling and come up with some mm. real simple representations. And that's how I kind mm. of come up with what I use. That's how you build sort of your library at the visual library yes. that you use, right? Yeah. I use probably 10 or 20 of the same kind of images uh, suited to what a, what's going on with the kid. 
but and, and you know you mix and match them but that's a very simple tool set. And, you know, I, I neglected to ask this. So what did the, how do the kids react when they see this? Does that change your relationship with them? Do they feel more like they can enter the discussion when they see this kind of work? Yeah, certainly for the teenagers, they definitely participate sort of on that intellectual level. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting is with a four-year-old who may not be engaged in the conversation that I'm having with the mama, when I go to the board, they light up and they see the colors mm. Oftentimes, I'll give them a marker and let them go to the lower part of the board and mm. goof off and make. Uh, I've had kids try to copy what I'm doing, so it's kind of fun and cute. But, mm. um, but yeah, they do. Kids, kids are very drawn to pictures, and so w- one of the funny things I'll do when if I have a reluctant three year old, it works great with three year olds who doesn't want to be examined. I'll have mom pull up their shirt and I'll say that whiteboard so that I can draw a picture of your belly button. So I look at their belly button like I'm studying it and they'll make sort of a, a swirly figure on the board and they just go nuts and they love it. And you get mm. immediate buy-in because they see the they see the thing and they look at their belly button and they say, Alex, I build it. So mm. that could be a good trick but, for other visual thinkers who need yeah. to get the attention of little kids. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. I, I mean I use it in a lot of, a lot of different elements. So mm. so this is a point in the podcast where we typically will do um tips. I like to frame it that. Imagine someone's listening, they're in visual thinking, whatever that means to them. And maybe they've hit a plateau or they just need a little inspiration. What would be three things you might encourage someone to do to help them break out of that rut or just to have a little inspiration? Yeah. You know, I think that we talked about docs writing on butcher paper. You know, I might challenge people to sort of take it up a notch. Uh, Obviously, putting up a whiteboard is sort of a little bit of a challenge for a lot of Mm people in clinics and wall space and that sort of thing. So again, a large, a large pad can do the trick and uh, maybe, maybe take that step to try to be more intentional with the educational material you're using. And you got to kind of just jump in and, and try. Uh, so I would say be intentional. That may be one tip. Um, mm. The second tip might be look for a role model. Um, I mean, you can look at the pictures that I, that were, that were in, in, in sketch notes and, uh, I think I've got some online. I need an Instagram page is what I need. Um, <laughs> but there are, you know, you can look up medical sketch notes or my pod, some of my blog posts I've put on there. And mm-hmm. I just get a role model and see how people do it and what they do. Um, and that's another thing to kind of get you unstuck. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it clean. You know, and I think that uh, I'm a minimalist and I think families, again, you want to think about what, what you're creating for families when they, when they go away and, have fun with it. I mean, to me, it's been, I've had more fun in medicine doing this than hmm. anything else. You know, it kind of, it's been a little bit of a side gig for me and it's been, it's also great for families and makes it more enjoyable for me. That's fun and it serves a purpose and it, it communicates. So yeah. And in the, in the best case scenarios, it in, uh, integrates uh, the patients with you, which is, uh, which means better outcomes, which everybody's driving for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to, that, that's the golden, that maybe that's the golden ring is to try to connect whiteboards with disease outcomes, which mm. I think if I had the right study design and the right person helping me coordinate it, I think we could do it. But, uh, so that might be a great project to aspire to. Mm. That's the next thing after you get this Austin clinic all set up and rolling. Yeah. I come down, I come down, visit. We'll give you uh we'll give you a tour. Yeah, maybe I can do a little teaching. I can uh, teach some basics and 
Yeah, we could do a live uh, live podcast from one of the exam rooms. There we go. That sounds good. I will take you up on that. Austin's one of my favorite cities, so wouldn't be hard to convince me to come. Probably get in the springtime. Bar- we'll get some barbecue. We'll get some barbecue. <laughs> Probably in the springtime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, this has been really great to have you on the show. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and sort of the way you approach things. Of course, we're going to find a variety of things. I've got some things up here I can share in the show notes, but I would love to hear where are the places that you hang out most? Do you have social media that you hang out? It looks like 33charts.com is your is your site and your blog. Are there any other places yeah. we should go to? So I'm I'm I have a newsletter at 33charts.substack.com. So it's the 33 mm. charts substack. Great. Uh so I write a lot about technology, not a lot on visual thinking, which I should mm-hmm. do, but a lot on technology and medicine and change and humans and how humans use technology. Uh, but you can find me there. Thirty-three charts. I occasionally post there. Mm-hmm. Um, people can reach out to me. Um, you can find my my contact. I think on my right website. on that site. Yeah, on the site or on the Substack. Shoot, great, great. Well, thanks well, for it's been time. great. Yeah, yeah it's been great been finally meeting you. Yeah, yeah. Same, same here. And I wish you the best in your next venture. And for everyone listening, it's another episode of the Sketchnote Army podcast in the can. So until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. The Sketchnote Army podcast was created by me, Mike Rohde, and brought to you by Rohde Design Studios. It's produced and edited by Alec Polianis of Amp Creative Studios. The theme music was created by John Schiedemeyer. To support the creation of this show, I invite you to buy one of my books, The Sketchnote Handbook or The Sketchnote Workbook. You can find the books on Amazon or... Go to peachpit.com and use the code RODI40 for 40% off. Please share this podcast with other visual thinking friends and be sure to leave a nice rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app so others can find the show.